There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and a man of whom I'd say, fine, whatever, absolutely fine. It's just I can't. But yes, I respect everything they do, but it's just not me. Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> that one's flying over my head again, I'm afraid. Mm. It's Klopp. It's Klopp. It's Klopp post-match. Oh, I see. Oh, right, okay. about the style of play. I think he's walked that back now, I think. He has slightly walked that back. I mean, I think we should. I think we should definitely touch upon that throughout the podcast because it is. It's 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 interesting to talk about. Uh, this week we don't have a we don't have a partner because we've got our own exciting announcement to make. Uh, we've we've got some new merch. People often email us and say, "You used to have some merchandise and it suddenly disappeared from the website. When's it coming back?" Uh, and basically, what happened was the the merchandise that we created before, which was really lovely was an absolute nightmare to maintain and organise because mm. of the way we had it set up. Uh, but Bardi's found a way around this, and we have, <laughs> sort of. And we've worked with uh, a designer who is one of our ex-subs, Trayton Miller, who's come up with some lovely designs. Uh, and Bardi, do you want to talk a bit about the shop? Yeah, I mean, this shop looks a lot better than the last one, so I'm pretty sure a few people out there got a, got a nice canvas, and it may, may have cost us money <laughs> to send it to them. Yeah. <laughs> Hundred percent, we lost money. Yeah. So, uh, and it was weird. It was always the people that lived really near to me, and I, I would have just driven it to them for for free. But um, yeah, we got a new range of um, new range of merch, which is really nice. Set up for the summer. It's the extra inch academy. There's some nice light colours. There's some tank tops, t-shirts, and hoodies, and it looks pretty cool. Kind of different colours that you'd be ex- that you would be um, normally expect from a from a Spurs account. Obviously, there's no red, but it's the um, extra inch university. Nice little crest, nice little logo. Looks pretty sweet. So to get your hands on that from uh, Monday evening, hopefully, you can go to theextrainch.co.uk forward slash shop. Just go to theextrainch.co.uk just in case the URL changes uh, and check out the shop tab and that will take you to our store where you can buy some Extra Inch merch and support your boys, support your favourite podcast. Liverpool, let's do it. Line up. Um, I would say no surprises. Is that fair? I mean, I think some people kind of expected maybe 
something would happen around the wing backs, but options are severely limited. I was I was fairly happy when we rolled out the same team minus Lucas plus Kulusevski. Were you I mean, expecting to see that again at all? Well, be- because of the sort of impact that Kulusevski had had mm. off the bench. Mm, no, <laughs> in a word, I I just felt that this was not a game for Lucas. Okay, so you. You think we might see that again in the next three games? No, not now. Okay, still no. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the levels between them is is so significant. The, the difference in the quality of the player and the quality of the output is so significant that I have. I'd um, be surprised. Ummed and erred and dragged my feet about putting out a sort of um, Lucas ball loss map from that game, but it feels I don't know. It feels. Uh, not in the spirit of the extra inch, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think for me, part of me was remembering how well we played against Liverpool at home with three people in midfield. Mm-hmm. But we just don't have that profile of midfield again. We don't have someone as leggy as Delhi to get up and down. We don't have someone as smart on the ball as Endombele. So I would have been really nervous playing Winks in a three there, just because Winks, Huyberg, and Bentan could. There's, there's no one who can run there. So. Um, I was happy to see us revert back to the kind of standard um, standard formation. Yeah, I was happy to see it. And uh, when when the match kicked off, it kind of settled into the pattern that I expect every Spurs fan had in mind for the match immediately. Uh, Liverpool having lots of the ball, Spurs defending from a deep starting position and keeping their shape and maintaining sort of uh, structural integrity. Uh, for long periods, and then countering. And I thought it was really, really effective. I thought we looked a well-oiled machine, to be honest. I mean, the only thing was, in the first half in particular, the counter-attacks, they were a little bit ineffective, so we weren't making the most of some pretty good positions. Uh, But I liked it. I mean, I I really, really, I liked what I saw. I liked liked the approach. It made a lot of sense. I mean, I think... Emerson Royale, who I'm sure we'll talk about a lot in this podcast because he was, for me, our man of the match. Uh, you know, we've been saying for weeks that Emerson Royale is a fullback, not a wingback. And basically, he got to play fullback in this match and it suited mm. him really, really well. Um, what did you guys think? I thought we played. I thought we played well. I thought we had a system and a style of how we were going to carry it out, and I thought we did it really nice. We didn't let Liverpool play through us. They started just cr- cross spamming us throughout the game. I think yeah. it was something like forty-five crosses, which is ridiculous. But that's uh, that's a measure of how well we were able to stifle them. And you're right. In that first half, we had a lot of opportunities to counter, and we were just a little bit wasteful. We couldn't get the the final pass or even the pass before that out. But you could see there was a, there was a danger there, and even though we weren't progressing into their half you could see that you could see the game plan and you could see that all it needed was one or two moments to work for us and then we would be through on goal which is kind of what happened a few times in the second half and we perhaps could have punished them a bit better but I do think the whole narrative around Liverpool doing this Tottenham playing anti-football is totally ridiculous that wasn't anti-football from Tottenham and the fact that we continue to pass the ball out of the back that, that is a football team who's not playing anti-football that's not Burnley that's not Watford and I think Klopp is being a bit of a dick 
by mugging us off by saying we just got men behind the ball. Because I've never seen Burnley do that. I've never seen Watford do that. I've seen what you saw from us was a team trying to pass through their press. And very rarely did we actually kind of punt it long and try and win the second ball. Probably because um, Canate had a great game and Van Dijk had a great game as well against Kane. Fabinho was able just to wander around and break all our players however he wanted. But I thought we played well and had a good games game plan and we, and we nearly pulled it off. I, I really like your point about the fact that we tried to consistently play out from the back. I think that's absolutely true. And um, and yeah, completely undermines the point that Klopp was making about Spurs hmm. essentially, like you say, spoiling for 90 minutes, which, which mean, clearly wasn't the case. They were getting upset with Romero for trying to pass the ball out. And Do you mean the commentators? The commentators. Like, hmm. like, how dare this team try and pass through the Liverpool press? Why don't they just roll over and just give them the three points because it's the, the mighty Liverpool? We were trying to play football through Liverpool and not many teams try and do that. And uh, the lack of credit, first of all, what, I don't give a shit about the credit. I don't need their credit. I don't need their justification about how we play. But I think their just inability or just reluctance to, to give praise or analyse what Tottenham were trying to do, it just shows us how kind of Liverpool biased all the media is here. And I did expect that from BT, from Sky, yeah, but BT, it, it, was, it, was, it was proper partisan in the studio and in the, in the gantry. I don't even think it's that. I think it's just, it's so proper football man. It's, it's like, mm. it's the kind of thing you, you would hear groans about in the stadium. You know, people get so frustrated with teams trying to actually build out from the back and therefore mm. taking a, a risk. You know, it, is, it is risky to play out from the back, especially against one of the best pressing teams in the world. And it's Glenn Hoddle, man. He's meant to be this kind of deity of beautiful right. football. And he's having a go at Romero for trying to play nice football. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong. Romero did play some bad passes. You know, he it, the idea of the passes were good, but the execution mm. was poor. And I think that's a, that's a absolutely a fair criticism. But yeah, you're completely right that they were sort of getting at him for taking risks. Well, no, that's what makes him so good. You know, to him, him taking a risk in the last match got us a goal. Yeah. You know, he, he's so effective at doing that. And, um, you know, Spurs' game plan was to was to play out from the back basically on our own goal line. You know, we were playing along our own goal line a lot of time to draw Liverpool out and try and create space in behind and, and build on that. And Kulisevsky had quite a lot of joy in that in that space, I thought. You know, several times he picked up the ball, shielded it well, got it away from his man, and then and he was a, then between the defence and the midfield and, and looking dangerous. So... Yeah, I totally agree with you, Barney, and I think the the commentary was was old fashioned uh, and imperceptive, quite frankly. Nathan, you've been very patient. What did you What did you make of this game? I liked it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's in, it's interesting that sort of conceding possession thing. It's something that we talked about before, but it's like I don't know. Yeah, we had we had thirty five percent of the ball in this game. Um, obviously. To an extent, like you're going to play against Liverpool, um, that's what's going to happen anyway. But I, I just feel, I just feel so positive about what we do when we have the ball in this game in particular, but in general, that like I, I'm so much more forgiving mm-hmm. of of us sitting back. It's still frustrating sometimes, and it was really frustrating against um, Middlesbrough, for example. But like this Liverpool team are really quite incredible. Um, it's so hard to. Um, to make use of their high line, <laughs> yeah, for your own advantage, they they do such a good job of of making it hard to to get out from your own back line, and um, I was really really impressed with how how we managed to do it. I don't know, there, to be honest, there isn't a ton of tactical detail in this game. Like, mm-hmm. um, there's something to be said about like finding the balance between um, like you want 
Liverpool to cross because you don't want them to do something sort of more intricate, more of a through ball, more more finding ways to sort of isolate defenders and and have Salah and Mane go at them and Diaz go at go at defenders one v one and that kind of thing. But you also don't want to be just completely free in allowing the cross. So you have to sort of like invite the cross, but don't make it too easy. Yeah, um, show them the cross, but then still put a bit of pressure on it. And I thought we really managed to sort of tread that line mm-hmm. very well. Um, I mean, yeah, again, there, there still just isn't like a ton to say. It was kind of the same, like that clip of um, uh, Romero diving header, Ralph Wiggum diving header clearance is sort of the story of the game, right? It was it was kind of that for, for a long period of time. Yeah, I mean, the only other thing I would add from a tactical viewpoint that I found fairly interesting was um, the fact that it was left to our wingers to defend against their fullbacks for the vast majority of the time, rather than our wingbacks pushing out uh, to defend against their fullbacks, uh, which often meant that we had a man advantage in the inside channels, which we we used to our advantage. It was it was really helpful. Uh, and the outside centre-backs were really fantastic. And, and t- to be honest, Dyer was, was really solid as well. He made a number of, of vital interventions, blocks, I thought the communication between a back line was excellent. You know, we're used to playing a flat back five. We we defended a flat back five and then the wing backs break forward. But in this match, it was more that we were often camped in a flat back five. So there is a difference here. And the communication, the the, the line was really excellent. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that was really, really, really impressive. You can tell how hard they'd worked on that during the week. You know, it is a, sw- it's a small tweak, but it's a tweak nonetheless. And having an extra pl- player in that back line or extra two players on occasion means you do have to communicate exceptionally well and we did we nailed it there was a lot of really good discipline there was a lot of really good positioning from Romero and from Davies the positioning when the crosses were coming in was spot on and um, I thought our wing backs came back around on the cover really well they they criticised Sessignon for that header in the first half and yes it was a bit wonky but the the bit that him reading of the game I thought was really nice and really encouraging I completely agree so we, we had a question on Sessignon from Sonrenity or Bardi as we call him uh, he <laughs> says how important important was Cess versus Liverpool and what do you expect of him for our remaining games and I mean I think this was um, sort of a, an ex- a continuation of what I was saying with Sessignon last week that he kind of comes in and looks really rough for his first game back after an absence and then steadily he grows and the next game is a bit better and the next game after that is better still he was really hyper aggressive against Salah which I, was, I found surprising but it was incredibly effective he kept Salah quiet for the vast majority of that game and that is no easy feat um, very impressive Sessignon who then obviously also got the assist too made a number of well-timed runs uh, something we haven't seen from Sessignon in previous matches is the the kind of want to drive at his man and try and beat him on the outside he did that with Alexander-Arnold a couple of times and won corners you know he's not great at creating um, any kind of gap with his man he, he's he hasn't really got a trick he tends to beat a man through the timing of the run rather than being able to beat them with the ball at his feet uh, and I think that's just something the team needs to appreciate from Sessignon because his movement is really excellent. Uh, but yeah, really good performance from Sessignon, but especially good performance from Emerson Royal Nathan. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. I mean, this is kind of, again, what we spoke about before we talked about Emerson is like 
yeah, you know, maybe he's a defensive fullback being asked to play wing back and all those kind of things. But where he should be strong, where he looked strong before, is in his contribution to build up play. And this game, yes, we saw, you know, yes, we saw him thrive defensively. And yes, we saw him maybe struggle with the couple of crossing opportunities. Um, but I was really, really impressed with his calm under pressure. I mean, under the most pressure you could be on, really. Yeah. Um, uh, play out the back combinations with Romero, with Kulusevski uh, and into midfield as well. That's where I, I sort of, that's where it knitted together. And then, of course, the the play for um, for the goal uh, coming in off the, the opposite side. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. I, I, I wanted to get your take on that because... It did occur to me that our our goal, our best chance of the game, came from a situation where a player ended up where he shouldn't have been on the pitch, and it kind of it just threw a bit of chaos into the mix. Emerson's really? randomly popped up on the left and created an extra extra man over there. Everybody seemed to be in the wrong place though, because Alexander Arnold was on the left of their defence. Mm. So I I don't I don't know I know it was start the ball start with Hugo, but what was the build? Like, I haven't watched the full game back, and the highlights starts with um, Hugo picking up the ball. Why was everybody in the was wrong it, place? Was it from a corner? Okay, it might have been from a corner. That, that I feel like it was from a corner. But um, it was a real agricultural pass to to Harry Kane. That was a he was just like get it out there, whatever whatever way I can. I mean, you could see that he was he was attempting. The idea was correct, but I don't think the execution of it was was spot on. But <laughs> Kane Kane took that down brilliantly, and his first mm. touch and, and his movement made that made that opportunity for 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 the goal. Mm. I I'm remembering now. Uh, having a go at Hugo because he sort of punted it into a dangerous area in midfield mm. and then it going to Romero and being like, oh God, what are you going to do? And then being like, is this actually going to work? <laughs> Saying, <laughs> so I was I was watching the game um, with my Liverpool supporting girlfriend, uh, a game in which, you know, both teams desperately did the win, which was, uh, which is quite interesting. Um, and I remember I literally said those things out loud. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> We had yeah. an interesting question from Namzi, which was, is Kane shooting less than normal? And Namzi says, I feel like he had a couple of times in this game where he would have shot normally, but didn't. And I must say, it wasn't something I picked up on. So I'm interested on the thoughts of you guys on this. I mean, I thought he was going to shoot for the goal. I just thought everything opened up nicely and it was his left foot. And I think had it not been against Liverpool and maybe Alisson, I think he probably would have take, taken that on. But there was also another opportunity in the, in the second half where the ball came to him with his back to goal. I expected him to spin and hit it. But I don't think he's shooting any less than normal. Um, I think what he's perhaps toned down is the, the speculative hits, which he was going through a phase where he was just banging it from everywhere. Um, but no, I don't, I don't think it's anything less than normal. He's maybe a little down. So he only had one shot against Liverpool. He only had one against Brighton. He had four and four against Leicester and Brentford. Two against Villa. Five Newcastle. Um, so dipping below five on a few occasions recently. Whereas that's kind of more... Five is kind of the average, maybe. Oh, no, but then at the beginning of the season under Nuno, obviously he's way down. So, mm. um, I mean, you don't really want to see Nuno era Kane, exactly. But... Um, it's kind of hard because the the deviation is is so dramatic game to game uh, with shots. Maybe maybe he's a little down. I'm kind of a tiny bit more open to um, to Dan's theory that he's got a, a minor injury or whatever that's or fatigue or something that's that's bringing him down. But he also looks very sharp at certain moments in this game. I think Liverpool managed him really well. I think Fabinho is a is a, is a superb defensive midfielder, and him he was he was missing for the the two two game, and I think that you could see the difference in how we played against them this time. And then he made a huge difference, and yeah, I just think Konate is. is 
further along in his development at Liverpool. And I thought he, I don't think he lost a duel with in the air with Kane. He was really impressive. And then, of course, Van Dijk is one of the best centre-backs in the world at the moment. So I think they managed him pretty well. Uh, but I still think he offered enough of a threat and he was he was played a huge role in the goal. It was Absolutely. after the corner. But <laughs> okay. Just watching, yeah. Yeah, it's in, so... Uh, obviously, the the fullbacks often switch sides after a corner, and and Session comes back. But Royer makes a very interesting decision to remain on the left, and the and the reason the ball goes back to Hugo is at least in part because Royale isn't there mm. as an option for Romero, so he plays back. Um, I still think that Hugo is just doing a bad <laughs> clear into midfield into a dangerous area that we've seen him do before. <laughs> I don't think he picks him out, but his distribution is is really not good. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree he's here. He's he, trying. The, the, the one way he threw it out straight to a Liverpool player had me having yes. kittens. <laughs> but I think he's trying, and I think he's improving, and he's not as bad as he was. I think players are moving into areas now where they, he can find them better. I think he's far yeah. more confident now. He lets the ball come really far deep towards his goal line. Yeah. I think he's showing a lot more confidence. And I think that is all down to, to players moving right. There was When Guardiola came to City and he, he signed Bravo, and then he put Bravo in the team, and then all of a sudden Bravo had—he didn't have PK or Busquets or anyone else to pass to, and he looked terrible. And I think Hugo has kind of suffered from that—that that he's had no avenues to pass out to. Now we actually give him two or three decent options, and we don't need him to play an Edison-like pass out. I think he's looking all right. He's holding it longer. He's definitely mm. holding it longer, and that's been a huge thing. Is that <laughs> anytime anyone gets near him, he just punts it out for a throw-in. Yeah, um, it's still a little bit like that. But I mean, I guess this is kind of the thing is that like. You tell a keeper who's not great with his feet to hold for it longer, to mm. wait for the pass. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he's going to pass it into midfield and it's going to go to a Liverpool player and uh, it's going mm. to be terrifying. And sometimes he's going to pass it and it's going to end up at uh, Emerson Royale's feet and, and, and we manage to get a goal from it from there. So I guess that's just sort of the natural uh, risk that you're taking there. Mm. I'm, I'm on board with this passing out the back. I think it's really good. I think it offers us far more opportunities than just punting it to Kane. And um, long may it continue. It will give people kittens because it's just the nature of it. It's high risk but high reward. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to seeing this try against Arsenal. That's going to be going to be fun. Well, I mean, I think um, I think the Liverpool game in a strange way was a, is a good warm up for Arsenal because Arsenal will play a, a fairly similar style, but just obviously much less good. <laughs> That they'll try and press high, but they can't press like Liverpool. They'll try and have possession, but they can't have possession like Liverpool. And hopefully, the counter-attacking that we saw against Liverpool will will slice through Arsenal with a lot more ease. I have a question for both of you, and I I already suspect the answer might be asthma. But how can Liverpool play fifty-eight games and play at that intensity all the time? Asthma. (laughs) There's definitely like something going on there, isn't there? But but what I would say is they also do rotate their midfield really well. So and they have the depth to do so, yeah. Yeah, they have the depth to do so. Naby Keita's on the bench, you know. <laughs> he's really good. He's on the bench. Uh and he 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 comes in and starts some games and Curtis Jones starts some games and Simicast plays left back sometimes and Joe Gomez plays right back. They they are they do rotate well and now they've got Diaz and that allows them an extra option so they can rotate their front line more with Firmino and Jota not even starting in this one. So I think that really does help but yeah there's there's got to be something more to it right uh so this was liverpool's second lowest xg total of the season in the premier league the first being uh or the lowest being against man city in october i think that's a pretty outstanding defensive performance from spurs any comments 
Um, yes, it's been a bit of a run of good defensive performances. I remember that when I was scraping the barrel after the Brighton and Brentford games saying, you know, we're really, really coming into it defensively. Um, what have we conceded in that time? Very little. Mm. We we conceded uh, one to Leicester, one to Brighton. Uh, the Leicester about, one was yeah. a long road trip, and the goal we conceded to Liverpool was a uh, was a, a, a massive, massive a deflection. deflection. Yeah. And how many of them have been when when Winks is on the pitch? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it, I think it's unfair to to blame Winks <laughs> for, for for the for the Diaz the Diaz goal. But I I want to give a little bit of love to um to Ben Davies. I actually voted Ben Davies as my player of the season because really. Yeah, I just thought that this is a guy who I, I really wanted to gone because I don't know if you remember the, the Palace game we lost 3-0. It was 0-0, Ben Davies comes on and it just collapses. And I, I blame Ben Davies. I said, we hadn't conceded a goal for like three games and on comes Davies and it falls to shit. And I, I think I was being unfair, but I do think from where he started the season as a backup left back, get rid, get rid of him, into an integral part of a back three that looks very good. And he was a large, he was responsible for a large part for keeping Salah very quiet. I think he's had a I think he's had a fantastic season. Kane has been good. Son has been great as always. But I do think Davies deserves a little bit of recognition for for stepping into this role beautifully. I I I support what you're saying there about Davies, mm. but I I don't see how you can have that uh, have that position on Davies and not also have the exact same position on Dyer or, or even more because you were yeah. extremely extremely critical of Dyer for about 18 months and yeah. it's Davies that we're looking to replace in our back line at the moment mm. rather than Dyer it seems yeah you're, you're right I did call Dyer a sofa and <laughs> I have questioned his ability to turn but I do think he's been put in in the role of least resistance of the back three fair enough I think that central role we know it, it's a bit easier you still got to be good and he has been I very don't good. know that it's easier I think it's different I don't think it's easier because it's, you're seeing a lot of the ball. You're seeing, but it's less. It's less intense. Davies and Romero are, are kind of like man markers a lot of the time, and I do. There's a lot of stress on them, and I just think Davies deserves the nod ahead of Dyer. I think Dyer's been great as well, and in for a shout. I, I just think it's unfair that Son and Kane always get all the votes. I think I think the defense should be recognised. Romero's perhaps not played enough games, despite me thinking he's he's brilliant. So maybe after after Davies, I'd give it to Dyer. Interesting. I think uh, I think. Son would be my choice at this point, just because he's his output is absolutely ridiculous. He doesn't need your vote, though. Wendy. That's the thing. He doesn't need the vote. He doesn't need the vote. Yeah, but I mean, I want so, Ben Davies to to get the results in and just see one vote for him and just go. I wonder who that was. And Ben, <laughs> if you're listening, or anyone who who knows Benjamin, it, it was me. No, I really, I really, I do appreciate. I really appreciate that. Actually, I, I think Davies does does deserve some credit. And um, and there's another player that I think deserves a bit of credit from you, Bardi. Uh, we had a question. We had a question from from Mads who who sent us a lot of very nice compliments, and then said, "But over the past six to eight months, the Bardi bias against Hoybier has become a huge problem, and I'm increasingly left frustrated when listening to your pod to the extent that I've now started to occasionally skip it." I'm by no means saying that Hoybier is perfect. Far from it. In fact, I'm also not sure if he will remain a starter once better options become available. But I also don't think that Bardi's analysis is based on anything else. Anything other than his repeated and often lazy points out of the <laughs> eye test versus stats that seemingly always lie when it comes to Huey Bear. Actually, I think that there is a reverse point to be made on Huey Bear. He often looks pretty clumsy, which may then overshadow the skill that he does have. I mean, first of all, Mads spelt my name incorrectly throughout that email. <laughs> so I'm not even sure if I should respond to it. And second of all, I don't think I don't see you, Wendy. We get like hundreds of emails during the Mourinho era saying, I'm not listening anymore because of your bias against Jose. And then I personally keep the podcast afloat by, by being... <laughs> 
by being the ballast. And then we get one email about body bias, someone listen, not listening anymore because of me. And then all of a sudden, it's a, it's a discussion topic. I think, Mads, my friend, I'm allowed my opinion. It's not bias. It's my personal opinion. I spend a lot of time and money watching Huyberg in person, and I can see him, and I can see him move around the pitch and just be useless at quite a lot of stuff. But saying that, he was very good against Liverpool. I thought he played great, and had he scored that or created something from that last chance, I possibly would have given him man of the match because I thought he was pretty good. I don't think he's the answer. He's not the solution to this role. I think Hjoiberg could be a fantastic squad player and a squad rotation option. Option, But I would like us to see us improve someone a little bit better in passing. And I'm not saying Benton Kerr is that guy either because we saw Benton Kerr can crumble under the press and he seems to start these big games slowly. So I'm not saying Benton Kerr is the solution. I'm not saying Winks is. But I think we need to upgrade that Hjoiberg position. It's so crucial to this team. It's so crucial to how Conte plays that he's just not good enough for it. And and that's, the, that's my major beef with Huey Berg. But he had a good game. And when he does play good, I say he plays good. But my God, he did mess up that last minute. So I feel about Huey Bier like you feel about Ben Davis. I think he's yes. I think he's really underappreciated. I think he had a rough time at the back end of last season. His form dramatically fell off a cliff. Uh, he didn't look the same player, I think, because he'd been played too much and he was slightly broken. And I think also sort of... In a weird way, he sort of emotionally carried the team through last season. He's such a sort of, he demands such a lot of himself and those around him. And I think that was weighing heavy on his shoulders by the end. Whereas this season, I think he's been really, really steady throughout the majority of the season, particularly once Conte came in. And, and I'm not in a rush to replace him, but I think he's our, I think he's our best central midfielder at the moment. But that's like damning him with fake praise. Not it's hardly it's not that difficult. I I do think he's been much better since Conte got here. But I don't think if you could if Conte could replace four or five players, he'd replace Jordberg. I'm pretty sure. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. I think I like Benton Cool. I think he, in my view, clearly needs time to settle into the Premier League before we can mm-hmm. be absolutely certain that he's a he's an elite level player. Uh, there's some potential there. There's some real potential. He's you know clearly got a lot of quality. But I want to see more of him. I want to see how he's how he looks in six months' time. And obviously, I think Skip has a huge amount of talent and potential, and I'm really excited to see how he develops. But for me, Huey Bier is just he kind of does pretty much everything quite well. I mean, the the one thing he can't do, which Bardi points out, and it's why Bardi calls him the cement mixer, is he can't turn on the ball. He can't take the ball in the half turn mm-hmm. and, and nimbly get away from challenges. That's a problem, and that is a problem. Um, but but That's... I don't think he lets it affect his game. I think playing the way you're facing in that role is okay, and especially in the Conte system where he's literally asking you to play the way you're facing a lot of the time. You know, there's lots of balls into someone, they play it back, and then someone else plays forward. So I think it works. Um, I, I I really like him. I think he's a steady Eddie. He is a steady Eddie, but sometimes that's not quite enough. And the amount of times that he doesn't turn and he doesn't spin away and get something going, and he he does play a lot of the time the way he's facing. Is it biased, perhaps? But you know, maybe. And I'm, I'm biased. I admit I'm biased towards Davies. I I really I've enjoyed his kind of journey this year. And perhaps I am biased towards Schoeberg as well. You could just put this bit on one point five then, if it really upsets you that much. <laughs> I mean, my opinion on one player making you turn off the podcast, despite being pretty positive the whole time. I. Think I'm sure I reckon you wrote this, Wendy. <laughs> In the same way that Son Renity is your alter count, <laughs> Mads is mine. 
fighting it out as <laughs> your alter egos. <laughs> when I was chatting to the ex subs at, um, at at the stadium a couple of weeks ago, they asked me about this, and I was just like, I can barely navigate my way around uh, Discord. Like, <laughs> it's true. How am I going to be able to have two profiles being able to talk to myself? myself simultaneously i lose threads all the time i don't know where stuff is and <laughs> someone asked me i dare you to, to mute me i don't know how to do that I, so I, I had to sim bin them for like 60 seconds so it's impossible <laughs> that i've got two profiles having conversations with each other amazing um i was gonna oh yeah i wanted to talk about the the last minute huey bear chance Mm. Um, should he have? Should he have shot? Do you think? Scissor kick. So I think I think if Hjoibier had attempted any attempt at goal, there it would have been an easy save for Allison from the position that Hjoibier was in. I, I don't know if either of you saw Troy Parrott's goal mm. uh, for, for MK Dons against Wickham. Um, so Parrott was in a similar position to Hjoibier, and what he did was like loft a header. He was a bit. To be fair, he was a little bit further wide, Parrott. And he kind of had more... Um, momentum on the ball? Yeah, I think a little bit more momentum, that's the right word. So he was able to... He didn't have to put... He didn't have to kind of put the power on the ball himself. Uh, so he looped a header towards the back post. And I don't think he meant it to go in. I think he was kind of just helping it back into an area. But it was such an effective header aimed towards the back post that it went in the back post. It was really, mm. really impressive. And that's the only way I think QABM might have been able to score that chance. Um, but lots of people have made the point that actually what, what he should have done... Is is had a call from Bergvine and left the ball yeah. for Bergvine. Uh, I don't know whether Bergvine would have been offside. It, it looked like Canate was probably playing them on, but I think that was the right decision. But you know, it's really tough, isn't it? The last minute of a huge game like that, the pressure's on. He's sprinted. He's been running around like you wouldn't believe for ninety minutes. He's made it into the opposition box. I'm not going to blame him. I'm not going to blame him for fluffing that. No, you're you're right though. He, he should have either. I mean, had he headed it down to the near post, I, I think you're right. I think Allison gets it, but he should have, you know, gone back. It. Go, the way to always head back the way the ball came, and it would wrong put uh, Allison. But it's it's very difficult for us to say that. It's just frustrating that the opportunity was there so late on to win the game. And had we won that game, had we beaten Liverpool, the whole kind of narrative, everything around the top four challenge changes, and um, Thursday becomes a totally different game. But I do think this one point is it will be crucial in the end because it just makes a whole world of difference just having that extra point especially with our goal difference 100% 100 agree I I think um, a lot of Spurs fans are feeling quite defeated at the moment Uh, you know having been in in a leading position and fallen to where we are now it's I can understand why but I think what you need to remember is that Arsenal are weak as piss they they really are capable of absolutely throwing one in the back of their own net they're Arsenal are not a reliable team. Uh, they they are very capable of of messing up all three of their last three games, quite frankly. And I think if we if we play like we did against Liverpool, if we play counter attacking football against Arsenal, and I think I think if we do, I think we'll win that game. I think we'll win it comfortably. The the pressure will suddenly go up a notch for them. And Newcastle away is not easy at the moment. Eddie Howe's got them playing a lot better. And Everton at home is also not going to be easy when they're scrapping literally for their Premier League safety. The issue is the amount of teams at the moment in the Premier League who are just on the beach. And we're seeing that all the time now. Newcastle Newcastle literally have nothing left to play for. It's their last home game of the season. That's the thing though, isn't it? It's the last home game of the season. I don't know. I think think when you look at... So um, Gimaraes tweeted after the, the City thrashing that the fans didn't deserve that 
and that they will keep building for next season. And I think that that kind of attitude, if that is a pervasive attitude in the Newcastle dressing room, they will have a point to prove in that game. And Arsenal aren't going to find that game easy. Honestly, I, mean, I don't know if you caught the, the Leeds-Arsenal game. No. Uh, so, so Leeds, Melier literally got tackled on his goal line. That was the first goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Arsenal scored again. And then Lee, Luke Ayling made the most ridiculous red card <laughs> challenge I think I've ever seen. It was absurd. Uh, so Leeds are down to 10 men. They're 2-0 down. And yet they nearly got back into it. They they got back to 2-1. And then in the last minute, they had another opening. Rodrigo had a really presentable chance and blew it. Arsenal are not the team that everyone... Just because they've won a couple of tricky games, it, it, it doesn't... It shouldn't paper over the fact that they lost three games to much worse teams in, in April. And, and I really don't think this is over yet. I, I think... As long as Spurs win their game, this is what we have to focus on. Spurs have to win their games. They have to. We have to give ourselves the chance to do this because I don't think Arsenal will steamroll of their last three. I'm excited, frankly. I'm excited. I mean, Thursday's going to be great. Whatever happens, it's going to be it's going to be nice to have the first London derby with North London derby with fans in the stadium. It's going to be nice to have an evening kickoff. It's going to be it's going to be a good day. Hopefully, hopefully it's not a disaster because I, if we lose, it's over. That's yeah. that's it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just. Spurs, do not blow it. Do not blow it. It's going to be an exciting match for sure. Um, Nathan, you you put together a really nice video on our defensive corners for the X-Ups. Yeah, this is this has been a sort of a, a long time coming, I think, because uh, we were having a really bad run of things. Um, uh, Romero was getting bad press, which is quite something. But having looked through them, like, I don't know, maybe <laughs> like he was definitely worthy of some criticism. Mm-hmm. Not half as much as Matt Doherty was from those, I thought. Oh, you, you did blame Doherty for one, which was Romero, by the way, in the video. Very well. Well, I mean, you know, it's still it's yeah. the the man marking of those two. Yeah, um, agreed. Was our real problem, and then we changed things up in a way that I won't reveal on the podcast. Well, yeah, mm. I think I think leave it hanging like that. But let's just say that there was one uh, particular incident, set piece incident against Liverpool which highlighted the downside of the new setup perfectly. Mm. Which perfectly. when we also saw that against Brentford, which I highlight in the video. Yeah. Uh, so so when you watch that video, X-Subs, you'll, you'll see what we mean. It was really I, good. What's, what's next, Nathan? What's next? I need a co-host for a live Ooh. Discord. So you let me know, or you two, one of you two let me know when you're free uh, next week. Is there, there's not any... I suppose it's it's the North London Derby. It would have to be the week after. Whatever, we'll work this out. But basically, yeah, we need to organise that and co-host. I've got a question about the corners. Do you talk? Do you touch on Hugo's kind of reluctance to come for corners these days? A little bit, a little bit. Well, yeah. basically, he catches when I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot that. Like you know, the keeper can do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I think it's he should have come for the the one that um, Van Dijk hit off the crossbar. I, I think he should have come for that. That's in his area. Um, yeah, I would like it to see him be a little bit more proactive instead of trying to be reactive. It's really difficult to be reactive to a header at you from the six yard box. Basically, if it's not straight at you, it's a goal so um I, I would like to see when we start looking at new goalkeepers someone that will come for a cross or two would definitely help would definitely help there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda-approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So we had this um, email from Bobby Hyam, who said, noting your admission on the most recent pod, this is some time ago now, about having an unhealthy relationship with Twitter and social media. I'd like to share a book I read recently that has helped tremendously. Indistractable by Nir Eyal is full of actionable information and ideas that you can easily implement to use social media for your, for your purposes whilst not getting continually distracted by it and having you serve the platform. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. I have I have ordered and received that book. I will I will read that. I wanted to sort of flag that with the rest of our listeners because loads of people seem to kind of resonate with the, that point mm. about being easily distracted. Um, I like this question from Shane Clayton, which came in post Brentford and Brighton. Uh, Shane said, do you think we have too many sweethearts on the side, especially in key leadership roles and not enough assassins? I don't know about you guys, but I kind of felt like uh, the Liverpool game uh, put up an argument against that. I felt we were quite assassiny. Yeah, I think this is just like something you'd you'd hear from Sunes or Roy Keane. There's not <laughs> there's not enough evil or bad people in the team. I th- I think we have a quite a share of, of assassins slash quite competitive people. Dyer, Davies, Romero, Kane, Schoeberg, they're all pretty tough and all pretty. They don't take a lot. They don't take any shit. Kulisevsky, so, judging by the forearm smash. Kulisevsky is tough. We have some really strong players in there. Um, so, no, I, it's just something easy that when, when the team loses, there's not enough leaders on the pitch. There's plenty of leaders on the pitch. Sometimes we, we lose or don't win because things don't go our way or individuals haven't played well enough. I don't think it's got anything to do about the mentality of our players. I think a lot of the time, these are the premiership footballers. So even just to get to that level of being a premiership footballer, you have to have a certain amount of fortitude and kind of resilience just to, just to break through and become the very best footballer one of the very best footballers in the country so i think sometimes we could get labeled sweethearts and i think it's a bit unfair anything you'd want to add nathan yeah i mean obviously i i lean Bardi's way i think that um uh you have to have a certain level of drive and all that kind of thing um i do think that like uh there's something to it though like you want to have a level of of edge uh, to your to your squads i i think that we have that with you know with romero with hoybert um there's there's enough niceness there i think that like I don't know, you can maybe you feel like there's a softness at wing back in the personalities there. But there's mm. also just a softness in quality. And I think that quality is uh overrides other mental aspects. Like Ericsson is is not like an evil bastard, but he is a, 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 was for us also a tremendous player, you know? Um and if and when we have really, really uh skillful, creative um, defensively strong, positionally smart wing backs who might also be soft personalities. We won't talk about soft personalities because they'll be good at football. 
And I'm, I'm going to skate very close to the, the winner's mentality thing, but I'm just going to put that there, but I'm not saying that. But I do think the fact that our team hasn't won anything in the last 15 years plays a fact. And I do think perhaps nervousness in certain games comes into it and the ability to get over the line had, I always go back to this, had our players won a couple of League Cups or FA Cups, then it, it has that change in your personality, that kind of God-given belief that you're not going to lose this game. You see that from Liverpool. Uh, you saw it from the Manchester United team. You see that in Real Madrid, for fuck's sake. These teams, they don't, they just don't believe in losing and they, they, they think it's their God-given right to win every single match. And I think sometimes at Tottenham, we don't have that. And I think that sometimes comes through experience of, of winning multiple things. That they, To lose a game just doesn't come into their psyche. Look at how Klopp, Klopp reacts to a defeat. It's just, it's not something that he experiences that often. So he just demands the same of his players. We're not going to lose this game. And I think that's... That's something that unfortunately we've not been able to instill into our players because we've lost semis and finals. I just don't agree with that. I, I, I just don't think that stacks up when you look at the Champions League run we had. We, we, that, <sighs> that was a sort of the, the, the most incredible example of never say die attitude I've ever seen that in that run. You know, and it was a weaker Perhaps. team as well. Quality wise, we we did not we did not deserve to win some of those games, and yet it felt to me like we just got through on sheer belief. Maybe I think chaos played into that on quite a few occasions. Um, maybe, um, but I, think- I, I do think there's also a point that um, the the players we brought in 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 January, Bentancur and Kulusevski, have both won stuff. Right, I'm not wrong in saying that they've both won things. Uh, yes, yeah, and, and I do wonder if that's something on Conte's requirements list for players that he wants players who have won t- trophies. I mean, there's, there's there's been quotes saying that we're going to opt for players who are established and ready for first team football this summer. And I'm not against, I'm not against that. I'm not against that because I, I do think there's something to it. Um, I don't necessarily think that the whole team need to have won something together to therefore win again. But I think if you've got some players who've who've been through a season where you, you've not been a the margin for error has been small throughout the whole season and and they've they kept their focus for that season. I think that is helpful for sort of sharing it amongst um, teammates. Um, I mean, I think um, Shane's point is is not necessarily a, a bad one though. You know, we have got some really very nice, gentle players: Son, Skip, Sessignon, Gentle Ben, as we used to call him, is uh, is, a, is a little nice at times. So I don't, I don't think it's completely away with the fairies, but. Nathan's right and Bardi's right to point out that, uh, you know, in someone like Romero, I don't think I know a more competitive player in the league. It's He's something else. His tackle on Henderson was was beautiful. He didn't have to do that. And he just did it because he, he wanted to send a message. Mm, absolutely. He is... Uh, he's, he's like your dog in the park, Bardi. <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. He needs some recall training. He need, yeah. But I, I think he's far more... Um, it's far more composed and far more obedient than my dog. So you, you, you haven't mentioned your new dog on the pod. So um, yeah, we, we adopted a rescue dog. He, he's Spanish, so he's got that he's got that Latin flair, and um, he's been with us now for a couple two weeks two weeks tomorrow. And we've kind of got overconfident with him, and we took him into a field which was far away from any kind of roads. And he did a lot of recall, a lot of good recall. And then at one moment, he just decided that's that. He looked at me over his shoulder, <laughs> and, and you could read into. To his eyes, he was just like, see you later, mate. And he he jumped two fences 
a gate, run down a country lane. And thankfully, there was someone at the end of the country lane who we'd been speaking to half an hour previously. He was on his walk back and he was able to stop the dog and calm it down. And then I was able to chase after and get him back on the leash. He's now been simbined and he won't be off, he won't be off the lead for, for a good while. Yeah, unbelievable. It sounds like he was nervous about like a new place. He was nervous about surroundings. He was like kind of unsure. He was leaning on you for lines. And then once he'd grown into comfort, once you just shooed him of the safety, he was like, well... Time to go on an adventure. <laughs> exactly. It was exactly that. It's just like he's taught me everything. He's taught me how to jump this. Um, I don't know what you call them. Those footpath kind of the the, the gate. It's not a gate. Style. Kind of, style. style. That's it. Yeah. So I taught him how to jump those, and he was <laughs> he bounced over three of them. Like I've, he's 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 part greyhound, right? He's um he's a lab greyhound cross. Yeah, Milo. So he's actually called Scott. Someone in, in Spain, uh, when, they, when they took him to a dog home in Spain, called him Scott. And then when he came to England, so they decided to call him Milo. And he's, been, he's had a couple of homes in the UK that hasn't worked out for him. And now he's with us. And he's, he won't leave me alone in my house. He's always underneath me. He's always looking at me and sniffing me. But yesterday, as soon as that lead went off, he, he was just gone. Just see you later, mate. Forza Milo. Yeah. And you're getting another dog as well. <laughs> At some point, we've we've delayed getting another dog. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, we were going to get another one immediately, but we've decided to just to focus on Milo, give him a preseason, and see how he gets on. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, Nathan, how how are things with you? Yeah, not bad, not bad. I'm really, I'm really, uh, I'm really glad I moved out. You know, because I was kind of dragging my feet a little bit of it, uh, trying to find the right place. But we just uh, we bit the bullet, and uh, I'm really, really. Love and having my own space, having having an office, all that kind of thing. I just um, mm. the recording of this podcast was slightly delayed because my headphones broke, and then I got my replacement earphones, and um, I was getting a shock in my right ear, and I realised <laughs> that I'm getting a shock from my laptop. Um, so that I do, <laughs> if there are any doctors listening, please tune out immediately. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was just getting uh and it's been like a recurring thing but I've oh been God. like it's been so minor that I've been like unsure of it I've been like is that did I just get a small <laughs> shock from the, my laptop casing but now I'm certain so um not really sure what to do about that <laughs> and uh and I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I'm bald now I I I finally took the plunge and shaved my head and I can honestly say it's the most liberating thing I've ever done and so so we've spoken about hair loss loads in this podcast you know what what are, are three blokes in their 30s and 40s going to talk about right uh i have been losing my hair pretty much since the day i turned 30 i'm now 38 and over the last couple of years pandemic time it's accelerated to the point where it was it was really thin around the crown and there was a kind of two strips on the front at the sides that were that were really thin and and it was like it was like I didn't want to go back to the office, like having lost a bunch of hair, and mm. the difference would be so stark for for people seeing me. They'd be like, "Oh wow, he's he's lost he's lost a lot of hair," and uh, I just went for it one day. I went for it. Do you, find, um, do you find it. now in the supermarket people move out your way because you look far more menacing? Do you know what I? I this is such a weird thing. To, I'm quite self conscious, but so I, I spent the last year just constantly like trying to avoid looking at myself in mirrors because I hated what I saw. Just gaps in my hair. It looked like I was at times it looked like I was trying to attempt to comb over, which I wasn't. It you know it wasn't that bad, but um and for the first few days of having my head shaved i did feel really self-conscious i felt like everyone was looking at me but obviously they weren't because they'd never <laughs> seen me not like it they're strangers 
and and now I realise there's no one's noticing me. No one's looking at me. It's all in my own head. It's it's ridiculous, and I've it's been so liberating. Uh, and so a couple of the, so Cole and Marcus, two of our ex subs, uh, who both shaved their heads, said to me, "You will want to go shorter almost instantly." And that is exactly what happened. So I had a short haircut, and then like ten days later, I had a shorter haircut. So. Mm-hmm. Like the sides, I went pretty much skin on the sides and then a little tiny bit at the top and uh, I loved it. And that'll be my haircut from now on. Whereas I am attempting a chemical treatment <laughs> to begin growing mine back out again. Yeah, how are you feeling about that? It's 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 coming along slowly, painfully slowly, and it's not the cheapest thing in the world. Um, I don't know, the thing is that like it's not a position where it's like i can't bear to be bald therefore i have to do something about it it's like i i quite liked having hair i'd like to have hair a little while longer just a couple more years or something uh just to you know (laughs) have had a few more styles in my lifetime (laughs) before i no longer have hair that kind of thing um so i feel like i'm in a sort of a healthy place with it you know mentally Mm. but um this this period has been annoying as i've repeatedly attempted to grow it out and then it's still not good enough and cut it and let it grow and cut it and let it grow and cut it and maybe i'm kind of getting nearly there now um i have some friends weddings to go to over the summer and uh (laughs) i need to make a decision about (laughs) what's hair i'm going to have at them you know yeah is it kind of um emotionally draining in the sense that you just want it to work you just want it to happen quickly and so every day you're a bit disappointed a little bit yeah Mm, i get it i completely get it i like i get i get i totally get why people have hair transplants uh but sometimes they don't take it's like no it's like you spend i don't know i think it's in the tens of thousands we're talking about and then like a year later it's it's like it's rejected that's the thing right it makes sense if you're a super rich celebrity person i guess but if you're antonio conte it makes sense yeah uh, or um or david silver david silver uh, andros townsend's had good mm. hair transplant ericsson very quietly definitely had a transplant. His, it's not good though is it his is so his lasted like a few years mm. his, so he he was like bored at like uh, ajax he was bored mm. at like 22 pretty much he had a transplant it took him through his time at spurs and then towards the end and now it's it's gone again but i think that's that's you know especially again if you're a rich footballer that's you've got a good few years out of someone else's you know yeah. hair yeah absolutely so there you go we're gonna get um we're gonna get Isn't complaints on reddit for this don't yeah, you take yeah, your hair from the back hair, of your I'm head kidding. Yeah. <laughs> just I, everyone seems to i was in the barber over listening listening into someone they said they went to turkey and got their hair done there mm. yeah that's the cheapest that's route the apparently mm. i think it's five thousand pounds all in to go to turkey and get a hair yeah. transplant which you know that's if you can afford to do that that's not it's not terrible is it if it's going to make you feel significantly better but um, I must say, I feel I feel really liberated. I feel really good. I feel good. I'm happy um, for you, man. Yeah. The only the only thing is, so so I mentioned there's been a life change uh, recently. So unfortunately, over Easter, I split up with my partner of ten years, uh, and it's been really it's been really difficult. Been really really difficult time. It's not been pleasant, and um, I can't, I'm nowhere near ready to start dating yet. But <laughs> I'm kind of dreading that process, and I'm. A little part of me is wondering if if there are going to be many girls out there that are interested in a in a skinny bald man, but I guess we'll see. They prefer them to skinny men with patches. Skinny hair, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess. You've been listening to the Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. 
Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud E Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.